Hey, everybody. We wanted to talk to you about a really fun event coming up that is going to be here in Atlanta, hosted by Plywood. And it is going to be a date night. Yeah, date night, October 2nd at 7 o'clock for you and your special someone to join us for a conversation on sometimes an awkward topic, right? Yeah, so we have our dear friend Lori Watson coming, and she has been on our podcast before, so you have probably heard her, and she is a sex therapist. She is wonderful and amazing, and every conversation I have with her, I learn something new. And so we hope that you'll come to this date night, you'll learn something new with your partner, and you'll enjoy it with us. Obviously, this topic is complicated and weird weird, and you might feel awkward even signing up for something like this. It's not going to be that way. You're going to sit at a table with just you and your partner. It's a date night. We want the two of you to get closer in this time. You're going to have space between you and the other couples so that, you know, with COVID and all that stuff, you feel comfortable. And we're going to have wine tasting and there's going to be charcuterie boards and you're not going to be singled out on the topic. You can text in questions anonymously. anonymously yes. Um, and we're just going to dig into an uncomfortable conversation with the hope that it becomes more comfortable in your relationship. Yeah. And I promise you, you will walk away with something new and something to talk about with your Ooh, partner. Something spicy. Spicy new. Hopefully it brings you closer together. So, okay, join us. Go to loverwork.com forward slash date night. You can use the discount code LOVE, L-O-V-E, all caps, and that'll give you 20% off for the night. We just want you there. If the price is a problem, reach out to us. We want couples to be there and to learn, and this is really on mission for us. All right, we love you guys, and we hope we see you there. Right here. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always, always two <laughs> versions. I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a- hard. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that later. <laughs> Love or Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we have got an interview for you today. It's a good one, y'all. Talking all about bodies. Yes. I see you undressing me with your eyes over there. (laughs) I'm not objectifying you. (laughs) We have been talking about wellness and self-care and mental health and all those things. I don't feel like we can talk about all that without talking about our physical bodies in some way. And... I wanted to present some information and a person to you that has really made a difference in my own journey with my body image. And I've been following her and her sister. They're twins who wrote a book called More Than a Body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And so Lindsay and Lexi wrote this book together and I have been following them for years and they've really taught me so, so much about just my body image and moving into a different place than I'd ever been before that we're going to kind of unpack today. 
What'd you think, Jeff? There are some new terms I learned. There's some new perspectives I learned. But this is a real thing. I mean, this, I think oftentimes in a committed relationship, one of the people really struggle yeah. with how they view their body. So that makes it challenging. Like there becomes, relationships, yeah, yeah, there becomes like this I don't know, conflict in the midst of it. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah. And so I think we're going to hit on a lot of topics with body image today. I hope you learn a lot of new things. I've learned so much from her. So here we go. We are learning today from Lexi Kite, who has written the book, More Than a Body. So, I mean, for me, I sit here today as a 35-year-old woman with a PhD in body image. I guess my work is that I'm an expert in body image resilience, but I sit here as an expert in this work because I experienced a lifetime of pain about my body, shame about my body from a very young age. I remember in second grade sitting in a circle at reading time, just at school and looking down at my little thighs, kneeling down. And thinking, my thighs are so much bigger than all the other kids' thighs. What am I doing wrong? And I felt this kind of shame rise up, you know, that we've all felt that caused me to feel really defined by and kind of confined by and embarrassed by my body, my miraculous little girl body. And uh, Lindsay and I were competitive swimmers. We write quite a bit about that in our book. Lindsay talks about it in our TED Talk competitive swimming was a big part of our lives and it was great. You know, our mantra is your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And for us, swimming taught us that our bodies were amazing instruments for many years of competitive swimming. But I remember as I started getting self-conscious about my body right around that time, right around age seven, eight, it started. And we quit when we were 16 because we just we're way too embarrassed at that point. We just couldn't handle it anymore. That's when for us, we started realizing that we had been held back because of our body image. And that led to our work that led to freshman year of college. Lindsay and I were trying not to be such twins. We were trying to be different. (laughs) It did not work. I mean, you wrote a book together too. So yes. Oh my gosh. We were trying so hard to be different, but we're good at the same things. We care about the same things. So I started out in broadcast journalism. She started out in print journalism. We thought we'd be just different enough. (laughs) And that first day in this required course for all journalists in media literacy, Lindsay and I were taking different sections of that class, different times of day. I remember sitting in that class the very first day and learning about what we'd be talking, what we'd be learning about in the class, about the fact that all media is designed for a purpose. And for women, that purpose is often incredibly profit-driven and it's designed to cause us to feel like our bodies are flaws. And I sat there and my heart pounded really fast. It felt like a spiritual experience. And I thought I've been impacted by this and I need to fix it. What does that look like? I went home to our shared dorm, told Lindsay that story. And she said, shut up. I had the exact same experience. You don't even need to tell me. And that was the beginning of 10 years of college without taking a break, bachelor's, master's, and PhDs, to study body image, but not just to study why girls and women are especially are so impacted by media and cultural ideals, but how do we fix it? How do we actually solve the problem? And that's through our work, our nonprofit, Beauty Redefined, our book, especially the culmination of all of our work in body image resilience, which we'll talk about today. Yeah. I mean, I hear you saying a lot about women, women, women. Yeah. Why do you think men 
are not as affected as much or are they affected? But your research is mostly with women like Jeff and I were kind of having a little uh, tiff before. I mean, (laughs) you're over genderizing me as a man right now, right? Like. So what do you think? I mean, or tell us about it in your research. When we started, like, what, 15 years ago or more, 2003, Mm -hmm. body image was very much a women's issue. And to this day, research does show that more girls and women self-objectify and feel more deep shame about their bodies from a younger age than boys and men. That is due to the fact that we live in an objectifying world. That is not to say men don't face body shame and body image issues. They absolutely do. And it's getting worse. But men are told to take up more space. Men are told to be muscular and fit, but bigger. And women are told to get smaller, to take up less space. And that translates into every area of our lives. When girls are little, about the time they hit puberty, but often much earlier, we stop raising our hands in class. We stop going up for leadership positions, we stop getting out there and playing like we used to at recess because we're worried about being sweaty, jiggling, being red-faced, not looking right for the people looking at us. And that translates into our entire lives. So for us, yeah, our work is focused on girls and women. And as you know, and can imagine when you're doing a PhD, you do one thing as deep as you can go. Yeah. There are people doing work with men and body image. And the good news is that our work and this model of body image resilience, it's for everybody. We're just using she, her pronouns, especially because we've all grown up in a world where women have been told when we read scripture, when we read anything, the default is male. We're defaulting to female. Men can change those pronouns if they need to and do the mental acrobats in their head. I'm not going to do it for you. (laughs) All right. Well, first of all, I'm definitely not going to win this conversation. In general, I, 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 I see, I see where we're headed. Okay. Can you, you said this term twice already, or maybe three times body image resilience. Yeah. Like, can you unpack that concept for our listeners? Yes. So body image resilience, we believe it's unique to our work, this model. And we believe it is the revolution. We all need men and women, boys and girls. It will change the game. So When we started studying body image many years ago, like nobody publicly was talking about this stuff. Some scholars were studying it, but it wasn't something you saw much on Facebook or celebrities opening up about their body image concerns. And thankfully in the last many years, body image has become kind of a buzzword. Like people talk about it. Celebs get vulnerable. They get more likes and follows for talking about it. It's all like, it's good. A lot more activism. And one thing that has cropped up, especially because of social media as very visual mediums is body positivity. So body positivity, if we really go back to the roots of it, it's founded in the fat acceptance movement, a clear way back in the day, 40, 50 years ago, people trying to get more rights and visibility for fat people. Body positivity has kind of been co-opted, has co-opted that message in a way that sells lots of stuff, you know, lots of brands get on board this, but body positivity is basically like all bodies are beautiful. You know, all bodies are bikini bodies. It's your flaws that make you beautiful. And that's a good step. But we are we are known for critiquing that message because what we find in our research is that if you continue to center beauty and bodies as the value and power that women should have, you say it's your flaws that make you beautiful. Flaunt it, own it, love it. You are beautiful. We are still recentering bodies and beauty. And we are more than that. Mary thing. Yeah. So you're kind of 
trying to move from body positivity a little bit more towards also body neutrality. Is that correct? Right? Where our bodies is not the only thing that's important in who we are as a whole being. Is that kind of where you're leading? Instead of changing how you view your body, which is a good first step, we want you to feel beautiful. But more than anything, we want you to know you're more than beautiful. You're more than a body. And so we've been pushing this body neutrality thing for a long time before we were calling it that. It's that kind of like instrumental thing. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. But body image resilience. This is the thing that's really hard to write about in squares on Instagram. You know, that's hard to write about in just little quick captions. Body image resilience is being able to see the objectifying world we live in, the shame and pain you have felt your whole life. It's being able to see the pain, to name it, to call it out, not just to swallow it, not just to pretend like this is the rent I pay to be a woman. You know, this is what it is. Instead, body image resilience gives you the opportunity to see that shame and pain, to feel it rise up. And it always will. This model is built on the fact that you will always experience shame and pain throughout your life not just by loving your body. It's not just a plan to love yourself forever, but to feel that pain and to use it as kind of a catalyst, a spark, a thing where you feel it and you realize you don't deserve to feel this pain, to feel this shame, to split from yourself. And so when that rises up, you use your resilient skills and strategies to come back home to yourself, to invite yourself back. There's a million ways to do this. And we can talk about some strategies to get there. You know, we write about hundreds of them in the book, but what can you do to see your pain and to use it, to use it, to make you better and more powerful and more compassionate, not just as this kind of crutch you carry along, not just as this burden that you feel like you have to carry, but instead to use it as this thing you stand on to be louder, to help more people, to go down a path you never would have chosen for yourself but is so much better. And that's what, you know, for me and for Lindsay growing up, I'm in some ways really grateful for our body shame. Like it's that thing that opened my eyes to this world, that this pain that so many people experience that holds us back from living and loving and healing, you know, and that's why we do what we do. Let's do one more definition just because we've said it a lot too. Let's talk about the self-objectification. Let's just clarify what that is too, because I think we've been using that a lot too. What do you mean by that specifically? So self-objectification is a big term, but when I describe it, I think most of your listeners, especially the female ones, will nod that they've experienced this probably every day of their lives. Self-objectification is when you are living and you're picturing yourself living at the same time. It's this double identity where we split from ourselves to monitor our bodies from the outside. So as an example, let's say you're walking down the street. Instead of thinking about the weather or that you need to call your mom because you haven't talked to her in a minute, you've got this kind of mental task list in your head that as that person is walking toward you, you're thinking, okay, need to adjust myself, need to pull up my leggings so my muffin top isn't showing. Oh, I wish I would have washed my hair because I bet those people standing behind me on the train thought my hair was so greasy and disgusting. And you're thinking, oh, I'm growing some zits. I bet that person talking to me feels bad for me. They're looking at my zits instead of my face and on and on and on. We picture ourselves living and research shows us that living in a self-objectifying way It hurts us in every conceivable way, less happy in our relationships, less fulfilled, experience less pleasure in our relationships. In terms of the rest of our lives, it's kind of what I talked about. You sit on the sidelines. That's when people, they don't want to go up for that promotion because they don't want to be looked at. They don't want to do that. Go to the grocery store if they don't have makeup on. 
You know, these are the ways that we hold ourselves back. And most women report to doing this on a regular basis because they don't feel like they qualify to be seen. That specifically, you think, is the area where you think it can really affect intimacy with your partner or relationships with your partner. Is that right? Play that out for me, like how that would play out in a place with your partner. You can play this out in a million ways, especially, you know, in dating and intimate relationships and marriages. So many girls and women grow up believing that we're bodies first and people second. And there's a lot of cultural ideals that back up that women, you're the eye candy. You're the trophy wife. You better keep it right. Keep it tight. Dads get the dad bod and we love it. But women, you get the mommy makeover when you're done having kids. We want to get everything taken care of to show no signs of life. Because you are a body first and a person second. And there's multi-billion dollar industries built up to remind us of this at every turn. So for women, we're up against a lot. I've experienced it personally. I totally get it. When dating my whole life, I always felt unlovable. I felt like my body just didn't fit what I saw growing up as the ideal. Because you only saw one way to be a successful girl or woman growing up. You know, Even in animated movies, Even in shows, you only see one way. They're tall, they're thin, but they've got curves in all the right places. No cellulite, no stretch marks, long hair, big eyes, big lips, long lashes, the works, you know? We all have this ideal in our head. And I remember my whole life until I got married, feeling like I did not qualify to be loved. I was unlovable because my body wasn't good enough because of cellulite, stretch marks, fat, you know? All the things normal living people have. But self-objectification it wrecks our relationships because when you live outside of yourself, you are not living inside of yourself. When you are in intimate moments, if you feel shame about your body, you cannot feel pleasure. And research backs this up. It's impossible. If you're thinking, what is he thinking when he looks at me? Right. You're not experiencing life inside your body. Right. Your brain is split from the moment. So you can't experience pleasure in the moment of that. Yes. It comes out in the ways, and research backs this up, that women don't bring up contraception when they're in, you know, intimate dating type of relationships because they don't want to ruin the mood. They don't want to be judged. They are less likely to say no because they are grateful that somebody is attracted to them, to their body. And so they don't want to stop the moment because they're just grateful. Women stay in abusive and harmful relationships because they think, I probably can't do any better. Like at least he's attracted to me. And so we live our lives prioritizing other people's viewer perspective on us, an outsider perspective, instead of living inside our bodies, prioritizing our first person experience, prioritizing our own pleasure, what we want, what we need, instead of just thinking about how we look. You said a lot of phrases in the book that just reminded me that we just kind of use these very naturally and we don't really even think about it. Right. So like uh, fixing our flaws when I get my body back, when this happens, then I'll whatever. Explain how that that really actually does not work for our body image and our body image resilience. How are we just saying these things, not even thinking about it? If you think back in your own personal experience and we ask everybody to do this. The times you were your thinnest, were you your happiest? The times where you were closest to the beauty ideals or striving so hard to get there, were those also your happiest times? And for most people, they weren't. It just, it doesn't work that way. When you're prioritizing 
how people might look at you, you can't experience joy, you know, the same way. You can't get into a flow state the same way. So in so many ways, when you're thinking about how you look, when you've lost weight and you look down at the scale and you see the number that you wanted to get to in my own life and in the experience of so many people we've talked to, when you hit that goal, you don't get the adrenaline rush that says, I did it. I'm good to go. No, you think, oh my gosh, I don't look how I thought I would look at this weight. I don't look how my friend looks at this weight. I need to keep going at least five more pounds or I got there. Now I have to stay there. Yeah. I can't ever. (laughs) Yes. It's so stressful. I can't ever cheat again. I can't go out with my friends again. Whatever the thing is. I can never change this diet. Yes. And that's unsustainable. Right. Like life doesn't work like that. And we all know it. We're chasing mirages. We talk about in our book about how these are constant mirages because the ideals are designed to be unattainable. You don't get there. Even the women you think are the most beautiful women you've ever seen. They're not there. They know they're not there. They don't feel good enough. They feel so defined by their bodies that they have to keep up the engagement, the likes, the validation, or else all of a sudden, where does their value come from? We hear this from beautiful women all the time. Basically, a long-winded answer to your question is just that when we're chasing these mirages, you'll notice that your body image doesn't actually change. You get the breast augmentation. Maybe you feel better about your breasts for a while. Maybe forever, but then the shame gets switched somewhere else or the shame gets switched to what do you like me if I didn't have these breasts? I'm more than my breasts, you know, or you're thinking, okay, well, I got those done, but my butt is sagging to the ground. What am I going to do about that? And then you go and you have to fix something else in so many ways. You can't fix the outsides to fix the insides because body image is an inside job. You don't fix it on the outside. You fix it in your mind and it's so much cheaper and easier and more (laughs) self-sustaining. I like how you're approaching this saying like, this is a resilience thing. This is like, it will never go away, right? This is going to be part of, even you've done all this research. You're, you know, you're, you're, you have your PhD in this and you still battle it. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so if you're in a partnership, like we're in, what can I do to affirm her in that resilience? Because honestly, when you're in your head in moments like this, more than not, I can't do anything, it seems like. And no matter what yeah. I say, no matter how I encourage her, how I view her, how I see her, it actually doesn't affect. So anyway, I'm curious what advice you'd give to someone like me in partnership yeah. with someone like you or Andre. I love that question. Thank you. Of course, it depends on your relationship. It depends on your love language. It depends on you know so many of those factors. But I think... A few things you can do to help her gain access to her resilience in the moment is, let me give you an example. Let's say Andre is trying on a pair of jeans she hasn't had to wear in a couple years from the pandemic. Seriously. (laughs) Just gross for me. Yes. Oh my gosh. In my own life, I had a baby 18 months ago. I came out of maternity leave in March and then the world closed back down. So I haven't had to like get ready or (laughs) go anywhere in a long time. So I recently tried on some jeans I used to wear because I thought I was having to get back out there and wear those jeans again. They were super tight. And in the past, when my jeans were super tight, I would have immediately come up with a plan. How am I going to change things? And I wouldn't even tell anybody. It would be shame that rose up 
in my head. I feel it in my cheeks. I'm not going to tell my husband about it. He doesn't need to know I've gotten fatter. What if he didn't notice? What if he did? And he feels too scared to tell me, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> the things we think of in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the usual plan of I'm not going to eat any more carbs. I'm going to run on that treadmill for an hour every day. The punishment that goes on the unsustainable plans we make instead, because I am so much more body image resilient than I ever thought I could be 10 years ago, even five years ago. I came back into my body. You can do this a few ways. You can help Andre do this by, if you notice it's coming up, you might notice it if you're about to go somewhere. Like if you're going out, if you're going swimming, if you're going out with friends, if you're hosting people and she gets a little snippy, you know, if she gets a little more annoyed than usual, yes, flustered, you can notice, you don't have to talk about it out loud, but you can notice she might be feeling just a little bit of that body shame that comes up, a little bit of that pressure that comes up. You can help her get back into her body. Maybe you can say nothing about how she appears. You could validate her on her appearance, but that's not going to fix it because it's inside. Yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) That's why body positivity isn't a total fix for body image issues. You can't tell somebody they're beautiful into feeling better about themselves because the problem isn't how you view your body. It's how you value your body. So what can you do to help Andre get back into her body as her own? an embodied experience. For me, when I was trying on those jeans, one thing I do when that shame rises up is I came back into myself by practicing some gratitude for my body coming back in. So I do a couple of lunges on the ground. I use the muscles in my body. I think about what they're doing. I feel how my body feels, my feet on the ground, my heart beating, my lungs filling up with air. I come back in. You have to get back in when you're splitting from yourself. You have to reunite. That reunion, it can take place every day. It can take place multiple times per day. If you can share that metaphor with your husband that we write about in our book, that that reunion of coming back is what we need, then you can help him help you reunite when you're feeling so split from yourself, watching your body from afar just float away as an object instead of a part of you. You can practice that gratitude and come back in. You can use your body as an instrument instead of an ornament, even in the moment, doing a few jumping jacks, doing your favorite exercise, doing some stretches, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. You can do that by putting on whatever you were planning to wear, taking one glance in the mirror and just being done. Just help her just be done. Step away from the shame, get somewhere else. You can help her by getting into a flow state. If you have a few minutes for her to just meditate for a second, to write in a journal, something creative. What do you like to do? That's a little bit creative. Anything you can do to help bring you back in instead of floating in the abstract fear that will bring you back home. That reunion to how you value your body instead of how you view it. Think about how much fun you're going to have at this event you're going to, or whatever the thing might be that you can look forward to, to experience joy, anything you can do to come back. Now, why are you smiling? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it what's funny is like I feel like it always comes up in those events where she's supposed to because I lead a yeah. nonprofit, I do these fundraisers, yeah. I do and it's always like right before we're about to do this thing for the organization I lead, it's like, why do you always make me do this? You da, 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 da. it turns into this like the flow is something different. There's a yes. flow of conversation there that's a little more intense. <laughs> and I think if I was like, you know, you need to find your flow, why don't you go meditate? And she'd be like, I'll show you what to do with your meditation. Yeah. You know, like it's like Whatever. I it, If I stated, it, what's interesting, it is these moments because even this year, especially, I would say, because 
you know, you're going back, you're, you're getting yourself done up again and you haven't done that in a while. And you have these critical thoughts about yourself because I don't know, you haven't built that muscle again, I guess. I don't know. Yep. Those are the times it actually comes out the most. Yes. We, we didn't talk about if I was able to share yeah, this seriously. or not, but you're just putting my stuff out there, you know, no, that's but, good. I, but that's, it's probably fair. I think for most people. I, yeah. I, I don't care. No, I think for, you talk a lot about it in your book. Every person has a trigger that can cause that shame to come into them. And yes. so some people, for me, my trigger is like a fancy event because I'm never fancy. I'm not a fancy person, right? So fanciness feels like blah, like foreign and crazy and I don't know how to deal with it. And so that's a trigger for me. But other women, I think, you know, you talk a lot in your book, it's like who we follow on Instagram, an image that we see, our super skinny friend that we're going to have dinner with. You know, there's so many triggers for different people that will do that, right? Yeah. And so whatever way kind of you're saying, like acknowledging and recognizing that this is a trigger and you're splitting, and you're looking yes. at yourself, you know, objectifying yourself as your, the only thing that matters is your body, then bringing it back to your whole being essentially, right? Yes. I mean, truly this model of body image resilience is banking on the fact that you're going to be triggered. We're never going to get away from those triggers. And yeah. the good news is the fact that you recognize the trigger is a huge win because so many of us don't even recognize it. We just swallow it. We just bring it back into our comfort zone that is deeply uncomfortable. And we just think this is what it is because you're wrong, not the ideal. It's you that's wrong. It's you that's embarrassing. It's you that can't get your crap together. It's you that's out of control. You know, instead of blaming these ideals that are designed to be just out of reach constantly. Right. So the yeah. fact that you recognize the trigger, that is the win. The trigger that said you recognize it and you say, I do not deserve to live this way. My body is an instrument, not an ornament. And another thing you could do that we write about, I think in the last chapter, Lindsay shares an experience of moving to New York when she felt like her imaginary future version of herself didn't deserve to be in New York because she wasn't skinny enough to be there. You know, she wasn't like the sex in the city trope to be there. And she did it anyway. And one of these goals is to prove yourself wrong. And that's the work that only you can do. But this anxiety we live with, it lives in the ether. It is not real. Like one thing that even your partner could ask you, or you could remind them to ask you is, what is it you're so freaked out about? Like, what is your worst fear? What's the worst thing that could happen here? What is it? And when you actually say it out loud, you realize that it's like nothing. Like a couple of weeks ago, I had to go to a family reunion with my husband's family and I didn't know what to wear it was causing me that stress because I haven't had to go out. You know, I haven't had to see people. And I was talking to Lindsay on the phone and I just said, I don't know what to wear. I'm just, I feel self-conscious. It was, of course, I live in a female body. It happens. You know, it doesn't matter how many years of work you do in this. It happens. And she said, who are you freaked out about seeing you? Like, what is this? What are you talking about? And she made me talk through what it was. And it was nothing. It was my sisters-in-law that are skinnier seeing me, yeah, I'm bigger than them. And we're all awesome. And I don't care that they know I'm fatter than I used to be. It all lives up here in your mind, you know? When you talk it out, 
It doesn't actually mean, what if they do judge you? Who cares? Really? Does it have a tangible impact on your life? No, we feel like it does, but it doesn't. Now, I will say that <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm trying to figure out how to apply the instrument versus ornaments concept because like one one of my solutions was in this which you're still for, talking about this scenario first of all as a man to come up with a solution in the area i'm for sure gonna fail that isn't is gonna work but i started realizing like that same thing you said what am i gonna wear that is a phrase that comes up right so my theory was i heard that over and over so i'm like well all i need to do is like three weeks before the major event i'm gonna proactively take her to find something to wear and if she wants to get oh. two things Go, I don't care because I I learned very quickly. Like the one thing she bought three weeks ago, by the time it gets to the the thing, that's not right anymore. So I'm like, just get yeah. a couple things, and we can take something back in a month if we need to. <laughs> anyway, but I was like, my solution, unfortunately, is probably ornamental, right? Yeah. Like, but I was like trying to proactively help, you know? Yeah. Know. Wow, that's true. That's nice, good effort there, babe. That's some good. It is like that is job. really nice. I, I get it. I, of course your solution is going to be ornamental because all we've ever heard is that women's power and happiness and value comes from their appearance. And so we need to validate their appearance because that's the best thing about them, you know? And so when this translates into so much stuff, when little girls are bullied about being fat or ugly, we say, no, you're not fat. You're beautiful. You know, we build them up with the same thing that is cutting them down when we can do so much better, you know, when we give them back that instrumental view of themselves, that embodied, you know, posture, it's so empowering. And yet we don't even have language for it. And so, yeah, of course, as a husband, you want to support your wife by telling her how beautiful, and you should, you know, you should validate her. You should tell her how beautiful she is, but just know in those moments when the shame is rising up, that's probably not going to do it. That ornamental thing. It doesn't. Isn't fix it. Fix yeah. It. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. I think in this same space, you kind of talked a little bit, but like you said, the gratitude, I think towards yourself, I think that kind of also goes with uh, what you talk a lot about, about the self-compassion. Yeah. I'd love for you to kind of go into that a little bit about how that is a, another way to find some resilience as well. Oh yeah. Self-compassion is so important. So Dr. Kristen Neff, she's really pioneered research on self-compassion and, and we've taken some of that and uh, done it a little bit differently for body image specifically. But the, the goal here with self-compassion is to recognize that of course you're feeling this way. Of course you're feeling this pain. You didn't do anything bad or wrong. The world is designed to ensure you feel that way. Even people you love that have just learned the wrong way of valuing women or of helping you, you know, by giving you advice, like in so many ways, of course you're going to feel this pain. And through the act of self-compassion, you can sit with that and like give yourself permission to feel it. I think as you do this work, this body image work, sadness and anger, they rise up. And that's part of it. It's part of it. That anger, that sadness, you sit with it, you let it fuel you. Every time that anger, that sadness, that anguish, that whatever it is you're feeling rises up, I want you to sit with it. I want you to let it bring you back home. Let it remind you of what you deserve. Anger is good. Anger is the fuel we need 
in a world that has convinced us we're bodies first and people second. I think those feelings are deeply important. I think another part of self-compassion that is so important is that once you kind of give yourself permission to feel that pain, to feel the self-objectification, to to sit with the anger that comes from learning about media literacy, from learning about objectification, this other really powerful thing is that your self-compassion translates into compassion for everybody else you see. And then all of a sudden, other women, they are not threats to you. We've been taught that we're all in competition for limited resources, that like beauty and attractiveness and popularity and even engagement on Instagram, that those are limited resources and we're all fighting for a piece of the pie. And that's not true. Like love is not limited. Beauty is not limited. None of these are limited. We are not in competition with each other. And once you start to see yourself as more than a body, everybody else is more than a body too. So the women you see flaunting it all on Instagram or at the pool, all of a sudden they're less of a threat to you. They're less of a threat to your marriage or your partner. They are less of a threat because you acknowledge they are more than bodies, even if they are flaunting those bodies and that it's up to your partner to see that too. That's work they have to do too. But being attracted to somebody is not bad. It's bad when you feel the shame about being attracted to somebody. It's bad to feel the shame about hating somebody for how they look. That takes you down into a shame spiral. But being able to just see people as more than bodies means that you can recognize our common humanity, that we all live in a world that is trying to convince us that we are most valuable as parts in need of fixing, in need of flaunting, in need of, you know, whatever, dooming, whatever the thing might be. But we're more than that. And everybody else is too. It has taken a huge weight off my shoulders. I don't feel jealousy like I thought I would with my beautiful, wonderful husband seeing other, you know, sexy women. I just feel like I get it. I get it. We're all in this world that is convincing us where our power comes from. And I I trust my husband to be able to be attracted to people and not cheat on me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know you've definitely done a lot of research with girls too. And I think, you know, a lot of listeners have kids and they're thinking, oh my God, this world of Instagram and selfies and, you know, looks, looks, looks for everything. And what are some, you know, maybe some things, tips or things for our listeners that we could even start kind of working on with our kids to help build this or some ideas like how do we start impacting our kids now with the resilience that they're going to need for the rest of their lives? Oh yeah. We have to start now. Like early. Yeah. Very early. I have a five-year-old daughter. Her name is Logan. She's a wonderful angel. Love her so much. And she's been kind of my experiment on all of our research, you know, like I've been doing what I tell everybody else to do with Logan for the last five and a half years. And it has shown me that this stuff works so far. And every kid is different. And it's not your fault if your kid is super ashamed of their body or super into their appearance and whatever. It's not your fault. But there are some things you can do. Early on with my daughters, I decided that if I truly believe our mantra that your body is an instrument, not an ornament, then I was going to treat them the same way. And and some of the advice I share makes people feel a little bit defensive or a little bit mad. And I don't mean it to. I'm telling you what I do. I'm telling you what has worked for us. I don't want my babies to be decorated. 
because I don't want them to grow up believing that they need to decorate themselves just to feel like themselves. And so things like the big bows on babies' heads, I just, I hate hair bands. It gives me a headache. I don't want to give my baby a headache, you know? So we don't do like the big bows. We don't do a lot of frilliness because I want my kids to be able to play, like to get messy. And I don't want to have to say, oh, don't let you're you're in your fancy dress, you know, or you can't climb those stairs. You're going to fall back down. You're in a dress. So instead I've tried to be a little bit more gender neutral with what they wear. That's a trigger word for some people. All I mean by that is that in the boys section, clothes are often, they've got reinforced knees and elbows. There's pockets. There's always pockets in the boys section. There's not just frilly princess daddy's little girl sparkles, you know, you actually get utilitarian clothing. And so I try to make their clothing more utilitarian than decorative. The same goes for like the frills, the dress up kits, the makeup kits that kids get so young. We haven't done that stuff. I just, I don't want them to think that beauty takes work. I just want them to know that it is, you know, but it's just. So when your daughter sees you putting on makeup, or mm-hmm. sees you, you know, getting ready for something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she asks questions because you don't really promote that with her, right? So I'm sure yes. she's wondering, well, what is mommy doing then? What uh-huh. is that? Because that's what my daughter does. Uh, what do you say? What do you say in those moments when yeah. she asks you why you're putting your makeup on? So far, she hasn't yet. It will come up. What I am prepared to say when she's prepared. a little bit older. I like it. We can all be prepared. Yeah. There we go. You got to be prepared. I mean, for now, I keep it super minimal, but she hasn't asked. I've made it more like, mommy, I'm washing my face. Like that's a thing we do. I'm putting my lotion on. That's a thing we all do. Everybody can moisturize their skin. You know, she hasn't asked about mascara or like lining my eyebrows. Those are the two things I do that would be considered like sexist or adornment. Yeah. Adornment, yes. We don't ask men to do those things, you know. Oh, so I guess um, that is sexist. There you go. Yeah, it's the things that we don't ask men to do that I'm especially concerned about, um, like plucking eyebrows, you know, whatever. So I am prepared to say, <laughs> Logan, we live in a sexist world. We live. I'm. I want to come. I think we all need to be honest about this. Okay, keep going. We, maybe you can't say the word sexist. Whatever it is that says, Logan. We ask girls to do some things that we don't ask boys to do. And it sucks. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And yet I'm doing some of it. And one day you're going to have to make the choice whether you do some of this or not. And you get to draw the line for you. What are you comfortable with? What do you want to do? What do you not want to do? I will support you in whatever you do. And I truly feel that about every woman. The spectrum of things we do in the name of beauty from, you know, breast augmentation and and liposuction and the ways we make parts of ourselves bigger and parts of ourselves smaller. That is deeply sexist. These are things we ask women to do and not men, the time, the money, the lives we put on the line in the name of beauty. It is deeply sexist, but we all have to draw that line for ourselves. For me, I draw that line at pain. I'm not going to do anything that causes me pain. And I would never judge anybody for what they do. But for me, that's like injections. It's even like laser hair removal because I want my daughters to see that their hair on their legs is normal, you know? And so I want that hair on my legs and I do shave it occasionally. I shave my legs. That is one of those sexist things. But I think that when it comes to an age appropriate time, we need to just speak candidly with our daughters about what is required of them. And you can do that by the shows you watch. 
I already do this with my five-year-old. The other day she said to me, mom at the babysitter's house, I watched a show. I think you would be annoyed by. And I said, how come? And she said, cause there was one girl in the whole show. And I said, oh my gosh, thank you for thinking about that. Because we talk about representation. I want her to watch shows that have female protagonists that have girls doing something to move the plot forward. And I don't want those girls to all have the same look that Disney princess look that is in every show that we post about. It drives me bananas or a worse word. Yeah, and so we talk about it. The funny thing and is, those are the shows that I'm most attracted to. You know that, like I always love love movies and shows with a oh, female, yeah. strong female, strong lead. female lead. Those that's are ones what, that that's I what always Jeff always chooses. Oh, I love that. Um, okay, well, I, I'll push another little button on you oh that you kind of talk about. Where are you about? trying to take us today? This is great. <laughs> Well, it kind of goes very similar in this category because I think it probably bothers you too. The wellness industry now that we talk a lot about, it's you kind of mentioned that you felt like it was a con, that it's not really truly wellness, right? That this is still tricking us into believing that it's wellness, but it's really still the same thing as what diets and all the other things are Uh in the past that we've said is bad or whatever. And Uh so because we're saying that wellness equals thinness. Mm -hmm. And so if we're saying wellness equals thinness, then we're still objectifying and we're still in the same thing as back in the eighties when you did a no fat diet or something like that. Right. Uh We just changed the name. Yes. And we just made it feel healthy. Yes. A million percent. It's just repackaged. The fact that, and it goes, the same goes for like fitness, like fitspiration type of images. And now there's so many companies like Noom that are co-opting intuitive eating language to say, this is not a diet. This is about wellness. This is about health. From a research perspective, what we see is that if you are focusing on aesthetic goals, whether that be six pack abs whether that be the number on the scale, your measurements, weight loss, yeah, weight loss, all of that. But that is not health. That is beauty. That is thinness. That is aesthetics. And that's because, and this is all backed up. We've got a whole chapter in the book about it. We write about this all the time. Mm -hmm. There's so much research that backs this up, especially in, you know, health and exercise science, physiology. What we see is that an objectified perspective on your health, an objectified perspective on your health means um, you're measuring it on the outside by how your body appears, how big your body is. That isn't actually health. That isn't actually fitness. Health is measured by internal indicators, your blood pressure, your blood sugar, your blood lipids, your cholesterol, your heart rate, and on and on and on. You can't get those things by measuring the outside. When we set aesthetic goals for our health, like weight loss, it is unsustainable. Those aren't actually about health. That's just how your body appears. And so if you set a goal to get to a certain weight, it is likely that in order to get to that weight, you might not be doing things that are actually promoting health for yourself. You might be starving yourself. You might be punishing your body with overexercise. You might be doing whatever you can do, dehydrating yourself just to get to that number. And then once you're there, how will you sustainably keep it off? Because research shows us that 97, 98% of people 
will regain that weight back within a couple of years because there is no research that shows us a way to sustainably keep off weight. There just isn't. We all know that. I've yo-yo dieted a million times in my life. I get it. And I thought I could keep it off forever because I was just that committed. But it, it just, it doesn't work like that. And so if you instead shift your focus to that instrumental perspective, how do you feel? What can you do? Let's talk about those internal indicators of health. That is sustainable. That'll keep you going. My personal experience with this is that, like I said, I had a baby 18 months ago and it was a painful birth if we're being honest. And there were, there was a good four months afterward that I was in a lot of pain. I could not use my body. I was on the sidelines of my life. And about the time COVID hit, I started feeling a little bit better and wanted to be able to move my body again. I wanted to work out, but I'm far along in this body image resilience process that I knew I could not set a goal that had anything to do with how my body appeared or it would not be sustainable. I wouldn't keep it up. I would end up seeing that my body didn't change the way I wanted it to. And I would stop. And then I would binge eat. I would be sedentary because I felt that shame that so many women and men experience. So instead I, I bought a treadmill and I set a goal that had to do with the instrumentation of my body. I set a goal to, to see how long I could do an incline as high as it could go climbing. Could I do that for 30 minutes a day? Could I do that in interval so I can hike with my husband? I set a goal to work out consistently every week that had nothing to do with how my body looked. And the good news is now we're uh, more than a year into me working out. My body hasn't changed. If anything, I have, I've definitely gained some weight but I am healthier and more fit than ever, than ever. And all of my internal indicators of health measure that. My pant size does not measure that. And I'm still going strong because the benefits of using your body when you can, when you're feeling well enough are immense. The gratitude, the endorphins that hit, that will never hit when you look down at a number on the scale or fit into a certain size. Those endorphins are real. I am able to hike with my husband and I don't feel so self-conscious that we're going to have to stop because I'm feeling way too out of breath. No, I can just go. Those are all amazing goals to strive for that'll keep you going forever. And they aren't just co-opted aesthetic goals like we're talking about through wellness and fitness as we see it on social media. Right. Yeah. Because often too, these wellness things are also promoting packages and juices and foods and all these things too, right? That just go back into the industry that then just yes, promotes so all of these things again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's unsustainable. Yeah. You can do a diet that requires you to do this very expensive gym membership and pay for these packaged meals and you can't go off of those meals and you can lose weight doing that. Mm-hmm. But how much money are you going to spend and how you're going to have to do it forever? And is you that can't get the rest of, of your life? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. That's really good. (laughs) So our whole series is about kind of self-care, mental health, all kinds of health. And today, you know, we're talking more physical health and things and the body more. But I love how you even say in the book, you said self-care is really taking care of your whole self, not just your visible self. Yeah. I really loved that quote, especially when we're relating to that. So how could that impact, like give us some ideas in that way of like self-care that we're kind of emphasizing in this series? I mean, we do need to be 
it sounds like so privileged, but in whatever way you can, we do need to be prioritizing our own self-care. Like we've lived through a global pandemic. We have hard lives. There's a lot going on. And yet for women, when we think of self-care, a lot of times we think about how to improve how we appear. And so self-care is manicure, pedicure, getting your lashes done, getting your eyebrows done, getting a facial. And those things, if we're really prioritizing our whole selves, then what would that look like? And how could we be better served? You know, if we're prioritizing our experience in the world, not people's experience of viewing us, how would self-care change? Maybe it's more in line of ways to improve your whole self. Yes, it can be those things. I need a mani-pedi. I have not had one since January, 2020. I'm prioritizing that this week, actually. Yes. <laughs> On the maybe, calendar. Yes, but maybe it's also a massage, you know? That's something that doesn't improve the look of your body, but helps you feel better. Maybe it's taking some time to swim, to meditate. I love to swim. So I bring that up because anytime I can go to the water, I just feel whole again. You know, maybe it's meditation, it's writing, whatever it is for you. What does self-care really look like? How do you prioritize your whole self and not just your visible self? It's so much bigger than we think. And we can really serve ourselves in a way that kind of builds that muscle we're talking about for body image resilience. It helps you stay inside your body, have that embodied first person experience when you aren't just thinking about how to improve the outside that doesn't actually like serve you in the ways you want it to. If I could leave with a note, especially for relationships, like you guys focus on relationships and I think it is so important to understand that healthy, whole relationships are founded on two people as, as more than bodies, of course, of course, Mm -hmm. but the value of both partners really embodying themselves of living more whole holistic lives of continuously coming back home to themselves. That's everything for a relationship that keeps people from feeling disembodied in intimate moments. It keeps people from, from prioritizing only their partner's visual satisfaction, physical satisfaction. It keeps them from feeling jealous of other, you know, competitors out there instead, like being whole, like living your life as more than a body, both partners being able to do that. And in being able to support each other as living lives, as whole people, as more than bodies, that sets you up for such a deeply successful, happy relationship. It helps you value each other in ways that maybe you weren't taught to. Like in so many ways in heterosexual relationships, men have been taught that the way to support your partner is to help her know how beautiful and sexy she is. And while that's good, it's not all, you know, I really like that we hit that point, that we hit that point about, you know, being able to not just help our partners in a, an ornamental way, but it helping them come back home to themselves. And what does that look like? It's, it's going to be different for everybody, but oh my gosh, in my own relationship, in the relationships of other people we work with and see being able to know that you are whole, that you are, you are good as you are, even if you've gained weight, even as your body changes and it will being able to know that your partner will love you through all that because you are so much more than just your outsides. Oh my gosh, that just sets you up for the most 
happy, healthy, lifelong relationship you can have. It's, it's so deeply important. And now it's time for the breakdown. That was a lot of information that I feel like if you haven't gone down the route of body positivity, body neutrality, you know, all these things, like if you haven't really researched and gone into these things, it'd be a lot to take in. It's very challenging in relationship because I think all of us have some aspect of how we view our body as an unhealthy place. And and this whole series is ultimately about what does it mean to be in a healthy relationship? And sometimes that affects every, it will affect every aspect of our life. And we ask ourselves, what is healthy? When we first think about healthy, it usually is related to our body. Right. And we've been trying to flip the script and also talking about mental health and right. all these other We're aspects bringing up other topics too, yeah. of health as well. But I really wanted today to be also not just the typical way that we hear about physical health. Because when we hear about physical health, I think she's right. We hear about aesthetics, right? Oh, yeah. We've all attacked it ourselves. That's how we view our own body. Right. Aesthetically yeah, is totally. what I'm saying. And so or she I, would say ornamentally or whatever, right? Right. And so I think the whole point I love that she's trying to say, it's like, it's not so much how you view your body anymore. It's like how you value your body, mm. how I am more than a body because I have a brain and intellect and character and, you know, all these traits inside me, all these things inside of me, my soul, my personhood that are so much more than my body and actually more, almost more valuable. I mean, if you, if we're going to look back at the end of our lives. What are you about to say? <laughs> and I look, think back to anybody that you know that passed away. Yeah. When you look at them and think about them, do you think about a physical trait? Maybe. I don't I don't know. As I've never really thought about thing. this. My, In the same my way. grandmother, yeah. when I look back at her, do I think about her and her physical body as much as I think about how she made me feel when I went to her house, yeah. how she cooked me these certain foods, sure. the memories that I have of playing cards with her? Like, I don't look at and just think she was a size this and this with a weight of this and this and looked like this. I don't think about that. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that's kind of the point of all this is we're like trying to get beyond that. Yeah, that's a hard question what you just asked me. I, in the same way, she asked a question in the middle of it like, when you were skinniest, were you happiest? I literally have never thought about that question. Yeah, they're good questions to think about. Yeah. Way to think about. Now, she did. she did kind of flip the switch on me for a little bit there. She's trying to get under my skin. Talking about sexism? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Is that a trigger well, point for you? Right she didn't there? get under my skin, but it was definitely like taking the conversation further than I normally hear it taken. Because I do think... Men, I actually think a lot of men struggle with this also, but I get what she's saying, like that this is a, a version of sexism that requires women to do all these things, right? Right. So if you're asking women to do it and you're not asking men to do the same thing, then it's sexism. So I like where she lands, but I will say I'm seeing some things in culture where culture is trying to do reverse sexism in the same way. And I don't think it's better. Meanwhile, women are supporting it. Okay. Like specifically Bridgerton. Oh my gosh. I mean, this show Chef. on Netflix, all it is, 
All it is is the same thing that we've proliferated in culture as men. Now women are doing it, and it's the number one rated show on Netflix. It has been forever. It's in history. And so what's going to happen? They're going to make more shows like it. Well, I would say that Lexi would probably look at that and say that was would be called objectification yeah. for, of a man. Yeah. I would say she would think that. Yeah. Yeah. So? Well, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm you more, get like a 1%. I more than a body. I mean, you get here. 1% out of the 99 of objectification, and then you're going to throw a fit about it. I'm not throwing a fit. I'm just saying. I don't think that's the solution. <laughs> I don't think the solution is to make more content. That objectifies, that objectifies men. men instead of objectifying women. Right. I'm saying what we should be doing, as my great friend Lexi says, is build a body image resilience. Yes. My great friend. I just met her on Zoom <laughs> for, for one hour. But Well, I hope we're great friends now because I really like her. What an incredible episode because this is at the core. I mean, it creates a lot of friction in relationships. Yeah. And, you know, so in her book, just so you all know, like that question she asked you that you were like, I've never thought about this in my life. At the beginning of every chapter, she has like three questions per chapter that really makes you think back and think about those types of things in your life, in the past, in the present that are affecting you and how you view your body. And so it's super helpful. And so y'all need to go if you're into this, you liked this, and you felt stirred by this in some way of some work, maybe more work to do in your own heart and soul and mind, check it out. More Than a Body. You can buy it anywhere right now. And it's by her and her twin, so cute, Lexi and Lindsay Kite. And you can also check them out at morethanabody.org. Yeah, so next time you start checking out my body, hon, I just want to make it clear that I am more than that. You are more than a body. Yeah. There we go. That's another episode of Love Love or Work. Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions. 